Hi, my name is Yilong Ye. I'm the communications director for the Pluralism Project. You're listening to the State of Play podcast. Every week, we'll talk about how politics is changing in the era of Trump and how everyday Americans and progressive candidates hailing from diverse narratives are making a difference. Before we get into this week's show, though, I have a request. Please follow us on Twitter today. Our Twitter handle is at PluralismUSA. That's at PluralismUSA. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Hamza Khan, your host for this week's The State of Play podcast, brought to you by The Pluralism Project. This week's episode features a conversation with a longtime activist in bringing people together across the world. A short rant about how ridiculous it is that someone tried to co-opt the entire resistance movement with an op-ed in The New York Times. And of course, we'll wrap up with a quick state of play in congressional elections across America as we get ready for the midterm season. Mmm, can you smell that? It's the end of the Republican Party. Looking forward to a fun episode this week. Let's get to it. Next up, we have a conversation with American-based activist Scott Weber, who's been on the forefront of global change for the past three decades. Learn his interesting journey from North Dakota to the wilds of Maryland. And uh, did they seriously take my samosas again? so sick of this. It's like the Republican demons. Oh my God. Bonjour, je m'appelle Annika Raman, je suis Bangladeshi Canadien. Vous écoutez le podcast State of Play. State of Play est produit par stagiaire Sanbol Ali Machetti, éditeur Young Lié et producteur Hamza Khan. Hi, my name is Annika Rahman. You've been listening to the State of Play podcast. State of Play is produced by Lena Shetty, soundboard intern, Young Lié, editor, and Hamza Khan, the producer. As we say in French, à plus tard. See you later. Okay, so let me set the scene for you here. I'm here at um, Scott Weber's house in Bethesda, Maryland. There is a rainstorm outside, and he has this beautiful house that was probably built in the 1950s or 60s. Uh, really Death, solid wood construction, but because of its construction style, oh, you can hear the rain kind of like percussions dripping on, on his roof, which is actually kind of a neat sound. And um, when I walked in the door, he was playing this Interfaith album by the band that he mentioned, Abraham Jam. But I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's just let the podcast play out. So he's he's you know high as can be about the fact that after all these recording, um, and yeah, go ahead and like. Play a song, whatever song strikes your fancy. What's the music, album. or do you want a uh, instrumental? Uh, I mean, it's, it's up to you. Maybe with with uh, words might be nice so that people can hear their voices. Mm-hmm. 
So while we're waiting for it to move into the main, uh, how do you know these guys? They come from, I know David from his work as a peace advocate. Um, My major was indeed along the lines of non-governmental diplomacy, and David is a peace warrior. He's down in beautiful Montreat, Black Mountain area of North Carolina. Talked about pluralism right there in diversity. It is. So <laughs> there are protracted social conflicts that have been dragging on, developing hatred for the other, even beyond the understanding of why, just because they're them. Right. And okay. so it's how do you break that down in today's modern world to say, let's you know forgive each other, let's come together, let's find some acceptance, and let's build a, a society and a community that gets beyond that for the, the betterment of, of all of us who are here because it is a matter of harmony uh, that is desired by every part of the society. It really is to the, ben- the benefit of society and the individual um, and to our world that people get along and work together. And it's, it's more than just a philosophy, um, but it can all be done at once. And that's the, that's the approach of doing things in small increments with everybody doing what they can in an area that uh, they are able as well as willing to participate in a way that makes them feel good but actually produces benefit. And no movement has ever been uh, successful based on just one person. I mean, movements are masses. They are millions of people, thousands of people uh, working together to get something accomplished. Basically, Scott Weber is one of the most deep individuals that I've ever come across, and not only that, he's very committed to being a technologist, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But before we go any further, there were two things we wanted to mention really quickly. First of all, this weekend is the beginning of the Jewish 10 Days of Awe. The 10 Days of Awe are a period of atonement and introspection, during which time people seek out those that they've wronged, ask them for forgiveness, and also seek out the Lord and ask the Lord for their forgiveness. It starts with the beautiful festival of Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and the traditional greeting for the New Year is which means, may you have a happy New Year and a sweet New Year. So all of us here at the Pluralism Project want to wish our dear Jewish friends a happy and sweet New Year. And if we've wronged you in some way, unless you're a dastardly Republican, we're looking at you, Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, we hope you'll forgive us. With that, let's get back to Scott. Scott was born in North Dakota and grew up in Lafayette, Indiana. So I was curious to ask him what inspired him to become an international changemaker. Awareness of a, of, a, of a world that I had not ever known it really existed. Okay. And so it piqued a curiosity. And so the idea of bringing up world peace, um, saving the world. I was, so, so your degree was in what, though? Then it was still undecided. Okay. Well, what, what, and what did you end up graduating in? Uh, I have an independent, individualized degree in global dynamics. And that was your BA? Correct. Did you get a, a master's or a PhD? So with your BA in global dynamics, taking your experiences as international students, meeting with people in lay flat, 
Indiana and in Purdue. You came out to University of Maryland, which was, a, I guess, back then even, it wasn't that diverse, but it was probably a little bit more diverse than Lafayette, right? Yeah, a little bit outside Washington. These are not necessarily just educational policy, but economic policy, political policy. Uh, how is it that stu you know, students, people, businesses can, uh, can work with each other? It was diplomacy. And so my, my you know, the philosophy, and I have, to say I have sort of the philosophical driver behind the piece was that it was a very very dynamic world that was growing and increased networking communication was going to be the key to understanding okay so the, finish your thought I said the key to understanding and actually uh, um, often put, I put on an international conference okay so we can't bifurcate this part of this is that international no, that's important yeah right now I became very involved with student government when I was at Purdue and then became involved at the national level in national student politics and it was with the American Association of University Students and some of us were talking at one of the national conferences right. about how cool it would be to take it up a notch and that the International Association of University uh, International Association of Universities was having a conference in Los Angeles got it in 1985 and we said wouldn't that be great to basically cre create another parallel organization called the International Association of University Students which would be a gathering. So you have set up a global student union, international student union in the 1980s, yes? Yes. Uh, that was our, when that was there our... was no internet to get this done, there was no Facebook, there was no email, you quite literally had to do this by handwriting notes and typing up letters and mailing them across the world and making long distance phone calls that cost you an arm and leg. We did. And it was slow and it was painful in some regards, but it was also then word of mouth. And you would talk to university personnel who would talk to their colleagues, who would talk to their presidents. And the idea was to assemble you know, the largest gathering of students to have a conversation about education, but the future of education, the purpose of education, and what educational leaders were going to be doing. But it had a bigger picture, too. But so, just to add another thing for you. So, you, what you're saying to me is that you are. You were a global community organizer right before the Global Village really began to be a concept. Yes, the whole idea is because they are so brilliant, they're going to do something that no one else has done, and they're going to get where they're going because they are brilliant. No matter how you look at it, these are going to become, our philosophy was that these are going to be the leaders who are going to be not only student leaders, they are going to become the business leaders and the government leaders and the world leaders in the years to come. But Scott wasn't done doing amazing things with his life after founding an international student union. Now this Midwestern underachieving huckster decided it was a good idea to go and help set up one of the first civilian-based government internet systems in the country. I hope so. This is uh, 89, 90, 91. So the internet 92. had just become a public thing, right? And um, because previously it was really like a defense department and a and a global educators, computers, universities kind of hooking up to each other through servers and terminals, right? Right. And okay. The AAUS, which is the American Association of University Students, had set up its own computer network to Fly have their folks own at Harvard, World Wide Web, who had actually started ability to set up a communications network, and we could set up email and things like that that right. had never been in existence, and it was set up just as a network of students. You may recognize that as sort of a basis for 
a few social platforms which we have running now. Um, which then, we won't mention since they're trademarked, but yeah. But it then, <laughs> it then spread on out you know, th- throughout the years, but it was in its absolute formative stages. And okay. um, I also, I basically ran and managed a thing called GovLink. And it was a private email service that set communication between all the governor's offices in the South. And you helped set that up yourself, too. Yeah, I was a part. I, I not only set up, literally walked in, I went down and flew down to each of their offices with boxes of computers, you know, CRTs, set it up in each of their offices, set up the modems, trained them how to use it, and then helped connect them to a, a private email system. Because in those days, every single governor's office was, com- even the ones that were technologically connected now, were completely independent. Scott Weber now spends his time advising and consulting various progressive organizations in the D.C. area about how to set up their own technological wonders in all sorts of matters. If you're interested in his advice on how you can establish a online hub for your progressive organization or cause, just drop us a line at promoteresomproject.org and we will reach out to him for you. He's happy to talk. In a moment, we'll be back with the rest of our podcast. This is The State of Play. Oi, sou Yeshe Abraham, sou Etiópia Americana. Vocês estão ouvindo o podcast The State of Play. State of Play examina a política americana da perspectiva dos americanos comuns, com um foco em pluralismo, diversidade e o rosto cambiante dos Estados Unidos. É produzido pelos garotos malucos de The Pluralism Project. Espero que gostem do programa. Hoje falo com vocês em português porque amo a língua portuguesa por ser sambista. Hi, my name is Yesha Abraham. I'm an Ethiopian American. You are listening to the State of Play podcast. State of Play discusses American politics from the perspective of everyday Americans with a focus on pluralism, diversity, and the changing face of America. It's produced by the crazy kids at the Pluralism Project. Hope you enjoy the show. Today, I spoke to you in Portuguese because I love the Portuguese language because I'm a samba dancer. In our next segment, we're going to have a quick rant about the New York Times op-ed last week that was published by an anonymous source regarding the presidency of Donald J. Trump and claims to be by those resisting Mr. Trump's agenda actively within the White House. Yeah, so this rings hollow to most of us here at the Pluralism Project. Let me explain to you why. Get ready for a short rant. The idea that somehow writing an anonymous note about how one is undermining the functions of our civilian elected government is somehow high-minded resistance rings hollow. Moreover, to publish the op-ed in a liberal newspaper whose major audience are eastern seaboard-based liberals who haven't voted for a Republican president since the 1980s speaks to no one who already didn't think America was on the wrong track. There are two options in front of us. 
either someone is recklessly willing to tear down the Republic from the inside, or the person who wrote the op-ed is a constitutionally sanctioned office holder who is insulated from any legal or political fallout. Many of us at the Pluralism Project think that the latter is true. In other words, Mike Pence needs to hire a new writing staff, or Donald Trump has taken again to publishing fake news in the press as he did previously as a land developer to generate or distract from news of the day surrounding him. In this case, either Bob Woodward's upcoming book, Fear, or Brett Kavanaugh's ongoing hearings in the U.S. Senate. Either way, it is unbecoming for any officer of a democratic government to openly admit that they are working to obstruct the government from doing its business. We might very well disagree with the business of the U.S. government. In fact, I think most of us agree that what the U.S. government is currently doing under the Trump administration is either unconstitutional, illegal, or both. But we have legal processes to deal with our dislike of Mr. Trump's hateful agenda for America. They're called elections. They're called the 25th Amendment. They're called anything but publicly announcing that you are working to keep the president from doing their job. Because that's what military dictators do. That's what other societies do when they have puppet regimes that act as if they're in control of society. But in reality, the true people in power are oligarchs and privileged one percenters. One thing is clear. Whoever wrote that op-ed did little to protect our democracy and much to damage it. End of rant. to our final segment today, the elections coming up in November. This episode, we're going to focus on a single election that matters a lot to everyone across the country, and that is Texas. Ted Cruz's lead is slipping for U.S. Senate out of Texas. His opponent, Beto O'Rourke, is catching up with him pretty quickly. And reports are coming out of Austin that Texas's governor has flown to the White House to have an emergency meeting with Donald Trump asking for him to come as soon as possible to the aid of his former rival for the presidential nomination of the Republican Party, Republican Senator Ted Cruz. It has been a very long time since the Democrat has won a Senate seat in Texas. However, a new Dream Team coalition of Chicanos, immigrants, Muslim Americans, liberals from major cities across the state of Texas, and more middle-of-the-road conservatives who feel very uncomfortable with the national rhetoric of Donald J. Trump are coming together to deliver a possible win for the Democrats in the Lone Star State. The Pluralism Project is looking into the race very closely. We will likely be spending a little bit of time down in Texas in the coming weeks, doing some sightseeing, bidding on some cattle, enjoying some really delicious beef. Hopefully the Texans believe in grass-fed organic, otherwise my wife is leaving me. But to be serious for a moment, the next episode of State of Play will be focusing almost exclusively on the midterm elections, going over races that we think are winnable, and how the Pluralism Project will be focusing on those races and working to elect progressive Democrats to take down the Republican Party once and for all and help impeach Donald J. Trump. My name is Hamza Khan. I hope you had a wonderful time listening to our podcast today. This is The State of Play.
paid for by the Pluralism Project, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee.